Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Monday, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. Thank you for making American Playbook the best-selling nonfiction book in America for its release week. Uh, absolutely fabulous. Number one overall, most copies sold in nonfiction according to Publishers Weekly, which shares the actual numbers of copies that are sold, and we were number two overall uh, in the Wall Street Journal list of best-selling nonfiction books this week. Pretty freaking incredible. I've always wanted to have a number one bestseller. Guess what? I've now got a number one bestseller, which is absolutely outstanding. All right, other great news. I'm going to be in Milwaukee. I'm leaving in a little bit uh, today. And then I will be in Milwaukee until uh, the debate on Wednesday. But we are going, so that's going to be awesome. We're doing an event at the Paps Theater. If you're going to be in Milwaukee on the Tuesday night before the event, 8 o'clock, couple of hours, I'll be there. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. You can get tickets, Paps Theater. You get a copy of my book as a part of getting a ticket. Um, so this is going to be pretty cool. Then, also... We continue to add more awesome things on. We're going to have an OutKick show on Fox News, 10 o'clock on Sunday, first ever. So uh, we have never had this before. Uh, it's a sign of how much OutKick is growing. Fox News Channel, yes, the main Fox News, at 10 p.m. on Sunday, will have an OutKick show special. I'll be on it. Tommy Laren will be on it. Charlie Arnault, uh, Mary Catherine Ham, Enos Cantor, Riley Gaines. No particular order there, but it's going to be a really good, fun discussion. One hour long special. We've never done this before. Uh, again, continuing to uh, to reinforce the growth of Outkick. Now we are going to have a one hour special on Fox News at 10 p.m. Uh, on Sunday night, so I will then go to New York City from Milwaukee, and we will be doing uh, this show. I'll be reacting a lot, obviously, on Wednesday night for what is, I think, the biggest uh, launch of the Republican primary so far, the Fox News Wednesday night debate uh, that will be taking place there. We'll certainly be reacting some to that uh, on our OutKick special that will air Sunday on Fox News, but a lot going on. So let me repeat, thank you for making this the number one best-selling nonfiction book in America. Thank you for supporting OutKick because we're now going to have a Fox News primetime special, 10 o'clock at least. I think you can count that as primetime. I'm at least going to count it as primetime. We've never had a Fox News uh, show uh, like this before. Uh, and by the way, I should mention with college football coming back, I'll be a part of Big Noon. I won't be on the road every single weekend because, frankly, that's a lot of travel, and sometimes you end up 
going to an SEC game, even in the SEC, there are lots of weeks where there aren't big top 25 primetime matchups. So I'm going to be doing big events, big games for Big Noon. Uh, I'm excited about that as college football gets closer. All right, that's a lot of details on uh, my day-to-day existence. Now, there are a bunch of stories out there. I want to talk about them. I actually want to start. Uh, I got to watch Lionel Messi for the first time ever in person on Saturday night at the uh, at the Nashville MLS game against Miami. And I'm this is the first time I had ever been to the MLS stadium, Nashville's brand-new MLS stadium that seats right around 30,000 people. And... I've said this before, but if you had told me when I was a kid that Nashville would have a 30,000-seat soccer-only stadium and that it would be completely sold out and that people would be paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for tickets to go watch a game there, I never would have believed you. But Man, what an incredible atmosphere. And I have a couple of big takeaways from watching Messi uh, on Saturday night and watching the Nashville and the Miami teams play. One, the amount of uh, celebrities in Nashville blows my mind, all right? I mean, it just blows my mind. Giannis is a partial owner of this Nashville team. He was there. Nicole Kidman, uh, Reese Witherspoon, David Beckham, uh, the uh, Darius Garland, I, these are just some people I saw. Uh, Nate Bargatsky, my friend, uh, the amount of celebrity that follows Messi in any city is pretty extraordinary to even think about, uh, and I saw it for myself there on uh, Saturday. The amount of interest that Messi himself, by himself, brings, he scored a goal, he put another one off the post, and he scored in the uh, in the ending, which was crazy. It came down to goalie versus goalie penalty kicks, uh, and uh, Miami won not, uh, ten to one. They made ten out of their eleven. Nashville went nine and two, and the Miami goalie stopped Nashville's goalie to officially win uh, this uh, the, the 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 cup, the challenge there that was going on in the MLS. But it's pretty extraordinary. Um, and it speaks to the question that I think is most paramount as we look and consider and contemplate what the future of soccer is in America. It's undoubtedly the case, if you walk around, I've been saying it for some time, young people in America are big soccer fans. The average age inside of a MLS stadium is way younger than the average age inside of a uh, I think even an NFL stadium, certainly a Major League Baseball stadium, and I think even an NBA arena. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a younger audience than what goes and watches soccer now. So the question that I have, and I talked to some people who were there involved in uh, the sports business in general, in America today, the most talented basketball players all come to America because the NBA, they can make the most money. Giannis is a good example. He's born in Greece. He's a huge soccer fan. He was there to watch Messi. He's a partial owner of the Nashville MLS franchise, and he's sitting there on the front row. I saw him. He didn't leave. I mean, he is a diehard soccer fan, but he plays in the NBA from Europe because the NBA can offer him so much more money. 
So, at what point in time does the economy of scale start to shift to the point where the MLS doesn't get messy and it doesn't get Beckham or Rooney in their 30s after they have already played and peaked in their rest of their career and then they want to come to the United States? At what point does the United States start to be able to attract some people in their 20s? and some who were elite soccer players and would otherwise be playing in Italy or in England or somewhere else. And a lot of you are going to say, oh, it'll never happen. I disagree. I think it's a function of money. And the question is, most people, Giannis is a good example, the NBA is a great example, most people will go and work wherever they can make the most money. And Messi, I think, what does he get? 30% of all international signups for MLS on uh, uh, on that app. And I think they've doubled the number of signups that now exist for the MLS League Pass uh, that, uh, through Apple since Messi came. I think he got 6% of Inter-Miami uh, and God knows all the other incentives that he got. Money was not necessarily the primary driving force but you could get Messi to the point where the money was at least in the same ballpark as what he might make elsewhere. And go figure, United States is a pretty good place to live. So if you have a family and you want them to be safe and you want to live a normal life, relatively speaking, the United States can offer that in soccer. In fact, you can have a normal life. I bet Messi has in Miami as close to a normal life for Messi as could exist because Miami has a ton of celebrities. And so Messi, yes, is famous, but he doesn't necessarily stand out way more than every other celebrity uh, who is potentially in Miami. So, or or LA or New York, or for that matter, Nashville. Uh, So think about that for a minute. When do the dollars become significant enough? I think it could start to happen in a real way over the next decade or so. And I would say a generation from now. So 20 years from now, what are we sitting here in 2023? I would think by 2043, it's going to be a situation where the MLS is able to offer, I really do believe this, competitive dollar values for elite talent to be able to come play in the MLS. Now, maybe I'm crazy in a 20-year forecast 10 years low end, 20 years high end. But I think the economies of scale are so substantial in the United States that when you start to have incredibly elite playmakers that are deciding to compete in the MLS, it becomes a flywheel. You're already seeing it with Messi now. What's going to happen with Messi, this is my prediction having gone and watched this game on Saturday, is a lot of people are going to see Messi and they're going to start to pay attention to other talented players in the MLS. That is, Messi's star power creates this echo effect, this illuminative effect, where other stars are made by being able to bask in the reflected glow of the attention that Messi gets. That would be my prediction, uh, because people care about Messi But what also happens is, and I think Messi's committed for three years, what also happens is people want to be interested in Messi 
but they also want to be interested in the people who are competing against Messi. And I think that's the next level that needs to uh, to be taken in the MLS. So that's how I would analyze it. Uh, look, I played soccer uh, growing up. In fact, I coached a game of 9U soccer uh, on, uh, on Saturday alongside of my wife because the usual coach wasn't able to be there. And so, uh, so I was running around coaching nine-year-olds uh, in the Nashville area. But I think I understand uh, the game of soccer pretty well, having played it and, uh, and having charted its growth. And I was blown away by what I saw with Messi um, and also, frankly, by the valuations that you're now seeing MLS franchises be capable of achieving. The Nashville MLS franchise, for instance, sold for $150 million. I think it's probably a $500 million franchise now with that new stadium built, with the uh, brand value that they're creating. Um, I was kind of blown away. Speaking of blown away, I also, on Friday night, uh, so I had a busy uh, busy weekend in Nashville. It's the first time I've been home in a long time. On Friday night, I went to the PBR, the professional bull riding, uh, and that was incredible. So uh, I got to sit right where the, the, the bulls come out of the chute. I couldn't believe it. I had never been to a professional bull riding event uh, like that before. They have team play. So they have eight different franchises that are based in different cities. Nashville has one as well. Uh, and in the Preds Arena, in Bridgestone Arena in downtown Nashville on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they had bull riding three straight days. And it was amazing. It was an incredible time. Uh, so uh, I had a lot of fun doing what I would consider to be too non-traditional because I would consider baseball, basketball, football to be the traditional sports. Even hockey now has been in Nashville for 20-some-odd years. But the PBR and, uh, and, the, uh, and the MLS, both awesome. PBR crew was fantastic. They took me around. Uh, we had a spectacular time. Uh, and, uh, and let me hit you with a couple of other – I got – by the way, Buck is uh, out of out of town this week, so I'm doing the show here from Nashville. Tuesday and Wednesday, I will be in Milwaukee. Thursday, Friday, I'll be in New York City, but the Clay and Buck show will be going on. I'm going to try to do a bunch of outkick shows if we can get things set up so that we're able, because I imagine there will be a lot of different moving parts and news stories uh, that will be taking place during the course of the week. So just FYI uh, associated with that. Uh, college football playoff. College football week one, or week zero, I guess I should say, is going to be here this weekend. I'll talk about it more later this weekend. Uh, but there's going to be a big meeting in uh, the next 10 days or so to talk about what the 12-team playoff is going to look like next year. And let me be clear on this. I think the 12-team college football playoff should take the 12 best teams, period. And I'm going to keep hammering this home. You have the college football playoff rankings. You have established that as a very significant uh, rankings system that takes place every week starting around, I think it starts around, uh, around Halloween, if I'm not mistaken. Why not just take the top 12 in the college football playoff rankings and seed them exactly as the top 12 in the college football playoff rankings are reflected. This seems like a no-brainer to me. Instead of worrying about who wins championships and everything else, most often the teams that win conference championships are going to be ranked in the top four. 
if they are not ranked in the top four, it probably means that there was an upset and that some teams with three or maybe even four losses has found its way into the championship game and won a title. Well, okay, if you need to make exceptions in some way where you have to include a certain number of champions, I understand that. But I would just take the top 12. And I probably would say, okay, we're going to take the top 12 and we'll guarantee a spot to all four major conference champs in the event that those top four are not included in the top 12, right? That would be the way that I would solve it. Top 12 teams in the college football playoff rankings, only caveat being if someone won the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, or the Big 12 and was not ranked in those conferences, then I would say, oh, not ranked in the top 12, I would say, okay, whatever team that is deserves a spot in the playoff, maybe. I don't think that would happen very often, and I can even see an argument for, hey, if you go 9-4 and four and you win a conference, do you really deserve to be considered one of the 12 best teams? I can see an argument that you wouldn't, but maybe you put in that caveat of if ACC, SEC, Big 10, or Big 12 champ is outside of the top 12, they get an automatic bid and they can bump somebody else out. I don't think that would happen very often, uh, particularly as you start to do away with divisions and guarantee that the two teams that are playing uh, are elite. And then by and large, most often, the team that wins the conference championship would get a buy, which is what you're fighting for, right? But in the event that you had, let's say we ended up with 12-0 and Georgia playing 12-0 and Alabama. They don't play each other in the regular season. They're both 12-0. and I think both of them should get, a, uh, should get a bye. And I think in that scenario, whoever won the SEC championship would probably be the overall number one seed. And then you could drop down Alabama or Georgia, whichever team lost, to two, three, or four, depending on how everything else shakes out. So if I'm the commissioner of the SEC, if I'm the commissioner of the Big Ten, I want 12 best especially with the size of my conferences, I want 12 best. And if I'm Notre Dame, I want 12 best. And frankly, if I'm the ACC or the Big 12, I want 12 best. Now, maybe, again, you can get that caveat of your champ gets in uh, even if they don't rank in the top 12. But I think most often those champs would. I would just take top 12 overall, period. Uh, that is that is how I would uh, that's how I would break all this down. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. 
And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Uh, okay. Trump is not debating at all, according to a truth social poll that he put out. He's got a big lead. Uh, this Iowa caucus came out uh, poll uh, from the Des Moines Register. This is J. Ann Seltzer. She does these great polls that are very reliable. Donald Trump is the number one candidate in Iowa, 42% support. DeSantis at 19%. Uh, Tim Scott at 9 Nikki Haley at 6 Pence at 6 Chris Christie at 5 Vivek Ramaswamy at 4 uh, So there's obviously only two candidates right now in double digits. Tim Scott on the outside sitting there. Um, that's the Iowa caucus. This is just Iowa caucus. Well, Trump has decided that he is not going to debate, period. Now, he says he's not going to show up for the debates. One is scheduled, obviously, for Wednesday in Milwaukee. Uh, then we've got one, I believe, in California in September, and there is another one set in October going forward. And Trump says that he's not going to debate. The question for all of you, and I think it's a good question, and I think it's an interesting question, is have you seen enough from Trump that you feel like he doesn't need to get on the stage and debate? I actually don't disagree with Trump's decision not to debate. To me, it makes logical sense. If you've got a 30- or 40-point lead, why would you allow other people to line up and tee off on you and in some way equalize you when you've got that big of a lead. Uh, to me, what this crystallizes is we're going to need to see a much more, uh, I would say, substantive, but a much more significant, at a minimum, uh, reduction in the number of people that are on the stages. And, uh, and, and I think that is, uh, is going to be very consequential because if you have nine or ten people on a debate stage and Trump is not one of them, basically you've got a sideshow going on. And so I understand Trump not showing up. It'll be interesting if you were to get this down to four or five candidates how this all shakes out. But I tend to think that everybody's going to want to stay in through the Iowa caucus and maybe even through New Hampshire as well. Uh, such that it's going to be hard to get people to drop out because if you're registering 3-4%, what do you lose? What do you lose in the process? Um, you're, you get bigger book deals, you get bigger speaking fees, you get more television hits. Very few people run for president and emerge, even if you lose, with people thinking less of you. Actually, people might think less of you if you lose a narrow race more so than if you uh, 
if you lose a uh, a close one. Just worth uh, thinking about sometimes uh, than if you get smoked. Um, we're going to talk about this a ton on Clay and Buck. And just for the record, I am taping this right before the radio show because I've got to travel today. But there's a big front page story in the uh, New York Times today laying out just exactly what a rig job the Hunter Biden Department of Justice investigation is. And the important thing to take away from this is that David Weiss, the uh, attorney investigating in this case, was not going to bring any charges at all against Hunter Biden uh, in the event that the IRS whistleblowers had not actually spoken out. This is pretty unbelievable. Five-year investigation, multiple clear felony counts, failure to pay taxes for multiple year for millions of dollars, and they were just going to allow the clock to run out and say no charges at all forthcoming. This is pretty crazy to even think about. The rig job was in such effect that if Judge Norieka in Delaware had not stood up to this rig job, there would have been no consequences at all in any significant way uh, for Hunter Biden. And you need to read, I shared, you can go read it on my Twitter feed. You need to go read that article for yourself. Almost all of it has been leaked by the, uh, by the Hunter Biden side. The details are incredibly alarming. The fact that we got here to this situation is wild to even think about at all. Pretty crazy. Um, all right, last thought for you here uh, is that Apple, there's a lot of talk all of a sudden about Apple buying ESPN. A lot of discussion, a lot of talk about Apple buying Disney. And in particular, there's been more of a focus of late about Apple buying ESPN. Apple has hundreds of millions of dollars in cash. In theory, they have the ability to add a lot of assets. As I mentioned, Apple now has the MLS. Apple made a fairly substantial bid for the Pac-12, which was not enough to keep that conference from collapsing, but that's what they put out there to try to do. Uh, Apple may be making a run at NASCAR, for instance, uh, going after these other different niche sports. In an effort to uh, in an effort to try to bolster its overall streaming assets, here's the deal: Apple buying ESPN makes zero sense. And let me just break it down for you pretty succinctly. What is Apple buying if they buy ESPN? What do they actually get? Okay, well they get the ESPN Television Network, which is rapidly declining and is on pace in the near future, I think in the next five years, to actually turn negative in terms of the money that it produces for ESPN uh, and Disney. So let me explain exactly, because I wrote a whole book about this, and I'd encourage you to read Republicans by Sneakers too, but the cable and satellite bundle is gone from 100 million subscribers to now it's down to like 70 million. And the number of you that are cutting your cable and satellite bundle is accelerating. And so ESPN has paid a ton of money for Monday Night Football, let's say, for the NBA, 
for Major League Baseball, for some hockey, I think. I can't even keep up with the rights that ESPN has right now. But all they do is rent. ESPN owns almost nothing. All they do is rent. They are a middleman, right? Think about what ESPN's business is. It is, hey, NFL, we'll give you $2.5 billion in order to rent your product, Monday Night Football, and put it on our network, and then we will sell it, and we will make money on it. They don't actually produce anything. The only thing ESPN produces is their daily shows and maybe some 30 for 30s occasionally. There's almost no value in terms of what ESPN produces. So what are you buying? You're buying a collapsing channel on cable and satellite, and you're buying rental. ESPN is Blockbuster. ESPN is the repository for rented content. They don't actually produce original content. So if you are Apple, why don't you just wait and blow ESPN's bidding out of the water and buy the rights to the leagues yourself? This is the part that I don't understand. Why would you pay billions of dollars for ESPN? The only thing that you are buying is the rights that they have rented. Now, you may say, oh, well, we absolutely have to have Monday Night Football right now. Okay, I guess if you had to have it right now, why not wait eight years and pay way more than ESPN can afford to pay because their business is collapsing and you just buy those rights yourself? And the good example is the NBA. The NBA is coming to market now, uh, I think in the next year or so. If you really like the idea of sports rights, why would you not just buy the NBA away from ESPN? Like, why would you allow ESP, ESPN to buy rights when you have way more money than they do to buy the rights? You're buying an empty vessel, it seems to me, if you buy ESPN. They have a streaming service, yes, but you have your own streaming service that you've already built. There is no logical basis under which it makes sense for Apple to buy ESPN. You're basically buying Blockbuster Video. ESPN is not going to be able to afford sports rights for all of the leagues that it's partners with in a decade. Their business model is collapsing. So why not just buy up all of the sports rights that ESPN can no longer afford? I understand why ESPN would want to sell to Apple. I understand why Bob Iger would be ecstatic to basically pass that collapsing business cost on to Apple. What I don't understand is why anybody at Apple would ever want to buy ESPN. And the only reason to do it is if you are desperate absolutely desperate to have those rights immediately as opposed to waiting a few years for when ESPN can't afford them anymore. Uh, and the other thing about that is like, okay, let's say you're looking around and you say, hey, you know what? I really like some of the talent that's on ESPN. Let's say you like Pat McAfee or you like Stephen A. Smith. Just sign them. 
their deals are going to be up eventually with ESPN. Just sign them yourself and put them on your own streaming service. I, 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 I am stunned by how few people understand it. So maybe explaining it, ESPN is Blockbuster Video. If you're old enough, you remember it used to be a big deal. You would go to Blockbuster Video, and you would go into Blockbuster, and what would you do? Rent the entertainment that other people make, and you would take it home, and you would watch it. The entire business model of Blockbuster was they took the entertainment that other people created, and they gave it to you. They were the middleman. What happened? Streaming occurs, and suddenly you can watch any movie under the sun directly from your home, and you don't have to go out to get the Blockbuster VHS or DVD. Blockbuster was disrupted out of existence. It was a huge business. Wildly profitable. If you are my age or older, you probably remember how exciting it was to go to Blockbuster and find a movie that you were going to take home and watch. And one of the most frustrating things, by the way, back in the day, they'd run out of all the best movies. And you'd like go to where the returns were to see whether the most recent movie that everybody wanted to watch was available. Um, but it was a super cool job uh, that uh, and business, right? So that's ESPN. It would have been crazy to buy Blockbuster right as the streaming era began. It's equally crazy to buy ESPN now right as the cable and satellite bundle collapses. It's just an empty vessel. There is no production value. ESPN doesn't produce original content. They just rent all of the sports league's content and put it on air for you. They are the sports version of Blockbuster Video. Why would you buy them? I don't understand it at all. Maybe you want, I guess, the tangible asset ESPN has is they have their campus in Bristol. But otherwise, all their rights fees vanish in the years ahead. And if you're Apple or you're Amazon or you are any of these big Netflix streaming companies, you're way bigger and your business is way better. You can get them. Now, I also don't think ESPN makes sense for Disney because Disney is in the business of creating original content that they own forever. That's not ESPN's business. Disney makes, I don't know, uh, this, new, uh, this new Snow White movie, which I think is going to be a total failure. But even if that new Snow White movie is a total failure, they own it forever. They own... Star Wars. They own the Marvel movies. The 1937 version of Snow White they own as well. It makes zero sense, in my opinion, for Apple, Amazon, or any other streaming company to buy ESPN. Now, buying Disney makes more sense. I can see an argument for why Apple would want, or Amazon would want to own the Star Wars movies, the Marvel movies, whatever else, the, the theme parks. Those are tangible, hard, original assets that are owned forever. But ESPN? ESPN is just blockbuster video. It is going to collapse and already is because the money that they have to buy rights with is collapsing 
And if they don't have the best games to rent, people will go everywhere. Everywhere else to watch those games. All right. I love all of you. Going to go sit down and do Clay and Buck now. Uh, appreciate you. This has been Outkick the Show. I'll be a Milwaukee Tuesday night. Look forward to seeing a bunch of you there for our event at the Pabst Theater. Tuesday night in Milwaukee. Uh, and uh, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Friday night's going to be up, I believe, in uh, New York City. And we are doing a special Outkick the Show uh, on Sunday. It will air at 10. I look forward to you guys being able to check that out. Thanks. See ya.